Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have our campus pastor, Reverend Jared Turner, preaching a message from chapel back in the fall of 2021. We actually thought we may have lost this message, but we're able to find it on our Facebook live stream. So please forgive the audio being a little less than normal, but we thought it was worth it to bring this message to you. This message is entitled, Before the Text Was Written. You know, the Word of God just does things to your heart, to your life. It changes things. And so, I come humbly today to preach a message, and it may seem like an odd Thanksgiving message, and in some ways it is, but it's what the Lord laid on my heart. And so, I wanted to preach it in that spirit of gratitude that I'm thankful for what the Word of God teaches us, and I'm thankful for the Spirit of God that guides us and leads us. Because as we're going to see in the text that we read today, you cannot make it without the guiding hand of the Spirit of God. You cannot make it without that. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can rely on the Lord. I'm thankful that I'm not doing this on my own power or my own strength or my own ability or my own intellect. I'm thankful that I can trust in the Lord to help me navigate all of, the, all of your lives. You come and you sit in my office and you talk to me and I don't know what to tell you. I don't know all the answers. I have to lean on the Lord and I'm thankful for that. There's peace in that. There's rest in that. So if you have your Bibles, you could stand with me if you'd like. Nehemiah chapter number 6. Verse number 10, 11, 12, and 13 is what we're going to read today. And it reads this, Afterward I came unto the house of Shemaiah the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabiel, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. And I said, this is Nehemiah writing, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life. I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. Now I'm interested in what happens in this story. I'm interested in Nehemiah's response, but really what I'm more interested in is what happened before this text was ever written. What happened in Nehemiah's life so that he could answer the way that he did in verse number 11? So that's what I'm preaching to you about before the text was written. Before the text was written. I know we already prayed, but if you could just lift your hand all across this place. 
Let's just give thanks to the Lord for his word, that we can read his word, that we can know his word, that it can speak to us. God, we need your help in this place, and we're so thankful for the touch of God that is in this place, in this house, the worship that's gone forth. God, we're so thankful. God, we're thankful. We have a thankful spirit today. We're so grateful for your leading hand, your guiding touch on our life. I pray for these students, God, that sit here under the sound of my voice, that you would begin to speak to them and lift them up and minister and help and bless. God, I'm so grateful for you, and I'm so thankful, God, for your spirit. I pray that you would be with the student body. Be with us in these few moments, and God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The story of Nehemiah is a great example of a hero in Scripture. Nehemiah was an excellent leader. In fact, if you read, to me, if you read the book of Nehemiah, you can get textbook examples of spiritual leadership because Nehemiah was a leader. That is primarily what he was. Um, he was not necessarily a priest or a scribe, he was a builder of some ways, but it doesn't, the text doesn't really indicate that he was formally trained in building. He was anointed by God to lead the work of God. And he had to function in different capacities in order to get the job done. His job was a spiritual task. It was not just an earthly task. And if he had come, and this is my argument today, that if he had come with just earthly talent or earthly ability, he probably would have fallen in one, into one of the many traps that was laid for him because he came back um, into a very difficult political situation. And when I mean political, yes, the government, but also just the people. You have a demoralized people that are living in a burned out city without a wall. That's, that's a morale problem. And morale problems are real. Uh, if you're a student of history, you understand about warfare that armies can be destroyed before they ever get to the battlefield because of morale. And a great leader understands about morale. So he had a morale problem. But not only did he have a morale problem, he had a jealousy problem. There were other peoples and other nations that were jealous and did not want the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Did not want that. So he had an enemy. He had someone that was opposing him. It was a tense political situation, and it needed careful leadership. It needed careful leadership, and it, he needed to be careful about everything that he did because not everything that happened was, could be taken at face value. If you, if you read in the story, there were, there were letters of appeasement and letters of friendship that were not really letters of friendship. They were letters of compromise. They were letters of uh, enticement. To, to open him up to criticism from his own people because they were hanging on by a thread because they were a dejected and demoralized people. They had come back and rebuilt the temple and were working on the temple, and it was nothing compared to Solomon's temple. They're having to deal with this smaller, lesser version, and the, many of the homes are destroyed, and so there's not many people living in the city, and those that are living there are probably living in homes that are repaired to only a certain level. And so there is a lot of chaos, let's say, in the hearts of the people. And, it, and God anointed a leader to walk into that moment and do what leaders do, and that is lead. But what does it mean to lead? What does it mean 
to lead God's people through this season of their journey. You don't really know. You don't really know. He was, he was having to make kind of split-second decisions. He was having to decide the spur of the moment what the implications would be for every word that he said and every decision that he made. He was scrutinized, not because he was criticized, but just because the tenseness of the situation brought scrutiny. People weren't against him, but I would imagine that there was, I mean, his own people, let's say, weren't necessarily against him, but I would imagine they were scrutinizing him because of the tense situation. What are you going to do about this? What are you, how are you really going to help us? And so it's in that context that we get to this chapter in Nehemiah, chapter number 6. And the enemy has these, he has these two enemies, Sambalot and Tobiah, and they are, they've tried several things, and they're motivated, what we can see from the text, by jealousy. They just don't want Israel or Jerusalem specifically to be built. They do not want the, the Jews to have a foothold in the nation again. They, they are, and they expose their heart. They hate God. And so they are opposing Nehemiah. And they're opposing the work that Nehemiah is doing. And, of course, we see like the, his, his courage. And if, if you know anything really about the story of Nehemiah at all, you probably uh, remember him saying that we're going to keep a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. And that I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. And so he had this uncompromising kind of character. But then we see that the, the, that was when the attack was a full frontal attack and there was a threats of armies marching against them. And it didn't work. And then they tried to badmouth him to the king of Persia to try to put political pressure. But the king had already given his stamp of approval and Nehemiah had the documents to prove that. So the new king honored what the old king had stamped his approval on. So that didn't work. So then this other attack comes. I've tried many things. This other attack comes and it's not direct. It's subtle. It's indirect. It's not a direct attack. It's a subtle attack. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trick. It's a temptation. It's, a, it's an appeal to self-preservation, an appeal to selfishness, an appeal to fear, and hires a corrupt man of God, apparently that had been not corrupt in the past, so someone that Nehemiah possibly could have trusted, but they hired him. And he had low character enough to take the bribe and then to presume to speak for the Lord when he was really speaking for the enemy. That's a tough place to be. That's a complicated place to be. If you're walking through that situation, you need the help of the Lord because you're not smart enough to deal with that kind of situation. You understand he's got, he's got people that are hanging on by a thread. They're hanging on by a thread. And he's got enemies that have tried and tried and tried to attack him. And he is technically a vassal of an ungodly king that has all authority and could, off, could, could order him to be killed at any moment. I mean, he is in a precarious situation. And then a prophet, a preacher, a, ostensibly someone that was a Jew or a follower of the Lord, comes and prophesies over his life and says, there's been a credible threat on your life. There's been a credible threat on your life. And here's what we need to do. And, and he's speaking not just 
as a, as an, as a counselor, but he's speaking as the voice of God, so to speak. Because he, he um, is a prophet, we're told. Now, not a very good one, but a prophet nonetheless. And so the word comes to Nehemiah that you need to violate the law of the Lord, but it'll be an exception because this is extreme circumstances. And, and because you need to preserve your life, you need to lock yourself in the temple. Go where you're not really permitted to go and use it in a way that it's not really intended to be used and lock yourself in because tonight, you don't have time to think about this, Nehemiah. You've got to do it now because tonight you will lose your life. And now we get the explanation in verses 12 and 13. We get the explanation of what had happened, that, that, that it was a bribe and that it was manipulation and that it was um, a corrupt individual speaking to him. But we don't know that when we, when, we, when we see Nehemiah's response in verse 11. He doesn't know that. He doesn't have that. He hasn't perceived that yet. But what he does say is profound because he says, that's not who I am. I would rather die than do that because that's not who I am. Would, would such a man as I run into the temple? No, a, a man like me, I would give my life before I would do that. Because he just had this thing about him that made the decision predetermined almost. That he didn't even consider it. He didn't even consider that he could violate the plan of God for self-preservation purposes. He didn't, it didn't take, it did, he didn't need to know all the facts. He didn't need to know that this man was corrupt. He didn't need to know that the enemy had paid him off. He didn't need to know that they were just trying to do that so that the Jews would think that Nehemiah was um, unqualified for leadership. And then if Nehemiah wasn't there, the whole nation would fall apart. So he didn't know that that was the plan of the enemy. But something inside of him kept him doing the right thing. His integrity spoke up before his mind could kick in, before his intellect could kick in, before his rationale and his, oh, I need to position myself. If I do that, then maybe I'll lose, maybe I'll lose something with the people. Maybe before he could rationalize that out, his integrity stood up and said, that's not who I am. I don't do that. And the price to be paid is worth it to keep my integrity. That's what Nehemiah was saying. And you know what? It was the right call. Because guess what? There was no threat on his life. Or maybe there was a threat, but it was an empty threat. It was all a manipulation. It was all a bluff. There was nobody coming to kill him. The end of the story is no one came. Nehemiah slept in his house and no one came. He just lived in his integrity and the wall was built and they dedicated it and there was a city of Jerusalem. And the enemies were frustrated and, and, and God wrought the victory and God made a way. And, and, and that, that's it. That's the end of the story. He made the right decision, but he didn't make that decision by calculating in his flesh what the right decision was. He let something else guide him. He didn't just, he wasn't playing 3D chess up there and saying, well, if I do that, well, maybe, but if I do, he wasn't counting the cost. He just said, that's not who I am. And if I have to pay with my life, I have to pay with my life. 
because I'm not violating my integrity. I'm not violating what God's called me to do. I, I just I, if, it, if, it, if it falls apart, then it falls apart, but it's not up to me. You see, this was a pattern that Nehemiah had set in his life. So I'm, I'm asking before the text was written, I'm asking what happened in Nehemiah's life before he sat down to pen these words. Where did he get this kind of fortitude that the answer could come so quickly to his lips? He didn't get it in the moment. That's my argument. He didn't get it in the moment. You don't, you don't make that kind of instinct, instinctual thing if you don't have integrity already. You don't grow integrity in a moment. Something had been built into him. He had, there is, because you can begin to see if you just reverse through the text, you begin to see a pattern in his life. You begin to see a pattern of, of, of great political decisions. Great decisions that elevated him in the eyes of the people and frustrated the enemy and called them out on their bluff. But how did he do that? How, how did he, how was this book written with that kind of clarity? My argument is that there was a moment before the text was ever penned that Nehemiah worked it out in his heart who he was. Who he was. Because we see when the story opens, he's just a cupbearer in, the, in, the, in the, the employ of the king of Persia. But when he hears about Jerusalem, his heart strikes him. Some, it does something to him. And he doesn't, he doesn't, when he hears about Jerusalem, he doesn't say, oh, there's an opportunity for me to shine. Which is what his enemies would eventually say. Oh, you, Nehemiah is just trying to be king. But he, he never said that. He never said, oh, there's an opportunity for me to really get the glory. There's an opportunity for me to go from a cupbearer to the governor. Oh, that, I, I'm going to throw my name in the hat. I'm going to submit my resume. That's not where it came from. That's not where it came from. It wasn't from ambition. It, it, wasn't, from, it wasn't from some sort of um, career advancement. But it, it grieved him. It grieved him that the city that God had chosen was lying in ruins. That the city that one day God himself would enter in in triumphant fashion was lying in ruins. It grieved his heart because he was a man of integrity. It grieved his heart. And so because of that grief, and he, he began to pray and began to ask the Lord for help. Not that he could go, but that someone would go. And then an opportunity opened. And the king said, well, Nehemiah, why are you so upset? And he said, so I begin to pray and say, Lord, open this door further. And the king said, what can I do for you? And then Nehemiah prayed, Lord, open this door further. And so he got up the courage and he said, would you, would you let me go back just for a time to build up the wall? And the king said, yes. That was the right time to ask the question. But he wasn't, he wasn't scheming. He, he, he wasn't doing favors for the king to try to get in his good favor. He wasn't trying to show off in front of the king. He wasn't trying to like accidentally leave his resume around on the, on the throne like, oops, you know. Uh, you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to undercut his, his uh, peers so that he looked better in the eyes of the leader. He wasn't showing off. He wasn't, he wasn't making sure his shoes were polished and his, his jacket was just right, his hair was fixed just right and walk in just the right way so that maybe he could get an opportunity. He just was grieved in his heart. And it wasn't a put on. 
He wasn't, he wasn't trying to do a puppy dog face to get favor with the king. He was just grieved in his heart. He just had a pure heart. He just had integrity. And it just grieved him because he loved the Lord. And the things that grieved God grieved Nehemiah. He just loved the Lord. And guess what? God opened an opportunity for him. And the king starts making a way. How do, how do you get that kind of favor with a pagan king? You, you're not smart enough to manipulate that. You're not smart enough to do that. You just have to love the Lord. You just have to trust the Lord. And so that's what ne so Nehemiah had set it down. And you can, you can go through the other stories of how he, he rejected the peace deals. And he, he wouldn't even go to the negotiating table because they had no power really to negotiate. They weren't even the authority. He had the authority from the king. So he, how, how, did he, how did he know that that would work? He didn't know. He just knew what was right. And he had integrity. And he walked in that integrity. And it kept him. So my question to you, and it kind of is an unanswerable question, so we have to use our imagination, but I think that's okay, is where did this come from? Because when the text opens, Nehemiah has this integrity already. It just does. He just, it just does. He, he, that's the kind of person that he is already. So there is some time in the past before the text was ever written, before the story ever unfolded, where the spotlight of heaven shone down on it for us to know, there was some time where Nehemiah was forming that integrity. There was some time where, I don't know if he had a mentor, I don't know if he, read, how, if he just read the scripture on his own, but there was some process in Nehemiah's life where his integrity was being formed. That, and that, that formation of his integrity was shaping his destiny when he didn't even know it. That formation that happened before he ever sat down to write these words that would last for millennia. Integrity was being formed in his heart. Integrity was being shaped, was being, was being molded in him. He was, he, some, where did he learn not to let ambition be the driving force of his life? Where did he learn that? Where did he learn that he wasn't smart enough to manipulate every situation of his life, but that the Lord was powerful enough to make it happen? Where did he learn that? Where did he learn that when you are invited to compromise, that the best policy is just to not compromise? Where did he learn that? I don't really know. But there, there had to be a time of formation. There had to be a time where that integrity was worked out in his life. And so that's what I'm preaching to you. Because you are in that season that is not recorded for Nehemiah. You are in that season where you are working out the integrity issue of your heart. You are working that out right now. And if you fail to work it out right now, you will walk into a trap later on. Because your instincts will be wrong. Because you'll think, oh, let me do this, and you'll do the wrong thing. Oh, let me connect with this person. Let, let, me, let me work my way in here, and you will do the wrong thing. And you will walk into something that will destroy you. Why do so many people that have been to Indiana Bible College and sat under the same teaching that I sat under no longer serve the Lord today? They walked into some sort of trap. I don't think they sat there in that seat and desired to not follow the Lord anymore. 
but there was some problem that they refused to address and they walked into a trap later. They didn't get it worked out. They didn't really ask the question, why do I desire the pulpit? They didn't really answer that question at an altar. They didn't really ever bring that issue before the Lord. They didn't really work out that integrity thing. They didn't really deal with ambition before they stepped out of the doors and they started seeking after some sort of podium and some group of people to listen to. You're not smart enough to preach on your own. You're not smart. Look at all these people in here. Think of the intellect that's just gathered in this room. You think I'm smart enough to talk to every one of you and give you wisdom? You think I'm that smart? I know you don't. But if you did, you would be wrong. You would be wrong. Because how could I, how could I, how could I give some sort of oratory that would, that would touch the heart, really? That would touch eternity? I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't play that kind of game. I, can't, I, I don't really know what to do. I just have to trust the Lord. I have, to, I have to just kind of trust that leading of the Spirit. But see, if I'm, if I'm not a spiritual person, then it's going to be hard for me to trust the Spirit in the moment. If I, if I got here because I manipulated, if I got here because I politicked, if I got here because I am just talented, then when I need that kind of unction from the Lord, it won't be there. And the Lord said, oh, you started this thing in the flesh, so you try to finish it in the flesh. You started in the flesh, so now it's all you. Go for it. You got here on your own, so now finish it on your own. Your talent got you here into this situation where all of a sudden people are lying on you and people are coming against you and you, have, you find out you have a real adversary. That Satan is real and that he can manipulate people to manipulate you. And even sometimes leaders fail in your life and so all of a sudden you're, you're, on, you're under an attack. And you don't know what to do. And you're like, Lord, help me. And the Lord said, you got here by the flesh. Why don't you finish it in the flesh? Because you didn't work out the integrity issue. You didn't work out the integrity issue. You, you, did, you didn't deal with it. You, did, you didn't really take account of your heart. Why, why do I want the platform? Am, am I showcasing my talent or am I giving glory to the Lord? Why did I want to be in that group? Did I just want to be in that group? Or why did, why did I want to be on that MSA? Why did I want to preach chapel? What was that desire in me? Where did it really come from? you got to know where it comes from. Because if you don't know where it comes from, it'll kill you later. It'll kill you later because you're going to walk into something that you don't know what to do. You're going to walk into a church that you don't know what's going on there. You don't, you don't know what the people are dealing with, and you don't know what other leaders in the church are thinking, and you're just, try, you're just like, I, I don't even know where, where to go, and you're just walking into all these things. And, and if you got there in the flesh, the Lord's like, you, you built this thing. Fix it. But if you're where the Lord wants you to be, see, if you're where the Lord wants you to be, He just kind of helps you. He just gives you wisdom. Like, don't do that. See, the, the integrity will shut, shut some really awful things down in your life when you say, hey, wh why don't you compromise on this? You're like, that's not who I am. I'd rather die than do that. That keeps you safe. That protects you. That guides you. That directs you. So you've got to get some things worked out now. And remember, I said that I wanted to preach this with that spirit of gratitude because I'm grateful. I'm grateful because I look out at all of you and I think about all the places that you're going to go and it can make you afraid, right? 
Like, Lord, I hope you, I, I, I want them to stay in church and I want them to stay focused and I want them to, to serve you always and I want them to, to, to live for you and be effective. And how are you all going to do that? How are you going to know all of these things and navigate all of these waters and with your family, some of you against you and, and maybe even sometimes your, your church doesn't really understand your calling and all these different things and people might come up against you and discourage you and all of this stuff. How are you going to navigate all of those things? How, and I worry about that sometimes, you know. But it's an unfounded worry because the Lord will guide you. The Lord will guide you. So you should be grateful that you have that kind of guidance from the Lord. You should be grateful that you do not have to lean on your own power because if you are not grateful for the leading of the Lord, you just live a little longer and you'll find out that you will face situations where you don't want to rely on yourself. Now, when you're in a controlled environment you can, where you can kind of push and wiggle your way up to some sort of platform, you might, you might trust in your own ability, but that will end soon enough. That will end soon enough, and you will walk into something that you do not understand. So you need to be grateful for the leading of the Lord. But if you want the Lord to lead you, then you've got to work out that integrity issue now. You cannot wait and let it pop up in the moment. You can't, well, I'll see what happens. If you leave Indiana Bible College not knowing whether or not you're going to compromise on the essentiality of the gift of the Holy Ghost or the oneness of God or the importance of Jesus' name, baptism, or the importance of righteous living and holiness, if you walk out those doors and that's not already predetermined in your life, you are in trouble. Because if you think that you will find strength in the moment, it won't be there. It won't be there because it happens long before you ever leave those doors. It is settled at an altar. It's determined what I'm going to believe, who I am when I come to an altar and I say, Lord, I just want you to guide me. I just want you to lead me. And this is who I am. And I would rather give my life than surrender this. That's what you've got to be. Or else in the moment, you're not going to find the strength. You're not going to find the strength. Samson lost his strength before the moment that he needed it. It was gone before. And he shook himself thinking the strength would be there. But see, his integrity did not match it. And there was nothing left. There was no power there. It did, it couldn't, now, his hair grew again, but it didn't grow overnight. It didn't grow right in the moment because he had lost it through the, through the losing of his integrity. So you need to work out your integrity now. You need to work it out at an altar what you believe, who you are, who God's called you to be, why you do what you do. You need to work out your motives now. If you have an ambition problem, a pride problem, an ego problem, you need to work it out now. If you have a lust problem, you need to work it out now. You need to work it out now. You need to say, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. Now, I do, listen, I, I believe in addictive behaviors. But you know what the problem with the word addiction is? It turns you into a victim. And I reject that. I reject that you are a victim to sin because Jesus became the victim so that you can have the victory. So because the cross, you are really not a victim because you have at your disposal the power of repentance. But what is repentance? Brother Carson preached about it beautifully on Wednesday night. What is repentance? It's dealing with the integrity issue. 
It's coming down and being honest before the Lord and saying, not just repenting for the things that are obviously wrong and that you got caught for, but repenting for the motives that no one else knows. Lord, I'm sorry that I said that with that motive. Now that's now you're getting somewhere. And that's a gut-wrenching kind of thing when you recognize who you are and you recognize how you've manipulated the situation and you recognize just the level of hatred that you had for God in that particular moment and you begin to repent of that. And you begin to be grieved at what grieves God. Now you're getting closer to where Nehemiah is. See, he was grieved at what grieved God. He wasn't just concerned about his here and the now and what kind of position he could hold. He was grieved at what grieved God. He didn't just repent over things he was caught for. Because he could get in the heart of God and say, Lord, I am grieved at what grieves you. And that's where true repentance starts to take place. And that's where true spiritual help starts to be formed in your life so that you learn how to listen to the voice of the Lord. So that you are led by the Spirit of God. So that when you walk into that situation that is less than ideal, you know what to do. Not really in your mind, but you just follow after the Lord. You say, I'm here for the right reasons. I I know that the Lord led me here. I know that God blesses me. I know that God's going to keep me because I've worked out the motive situation. I worked out the intent integrity of my heart. I'm coming to a close quickly if the, if the music could come. I'm thankful for the leading of the Spirit. I'm thankful for the leading of the Spirit. I wouldn't be anywhere if God had not led me or helped me. And so when students sit in my office and they're worried about, well, how am I going to find the will of God? Well, you're probably never going to know the full plan. He's not going to drop the roadmap in your life and say, here's the 16 steps you need to automatic success. How you know the plan of God is you work out the integrity issue. And if you have integrity, the plan of God will unfold in your life. It will. It it becomes a foregone conclusion that if you work it out at an altar, if you bring your heart before the Lord at an altar, it will just play out in your life. It will just, you will know what to do. The door will open and you'll know that it's right because you've, you've brought your heart before the Lord and you've got your motives fixed. You've got your spirit fixed. Stand with me, if you would. And I know this is, this is, like I said, this is a unique chapel, and that's okay. In some ways, unique things stick out maybe a little more. And I know we're getting ready to go home on Thanksgiving, but and like I said, this is the last time I'll get to address you before the end of the semester. And my plea to you, my plea to you, not so much a correction as a plea is to work out the integrity of your heart now in this season of your life. Get in the practice of bringing things before the Lord and telling Him exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows already. You're not going to hide it from Him. But He's waiting on you to be honest enough to say, God, I had a little bit of ego in that situation. You know, God, my motives got off a little bit, I, I kind of lost sight of why you called me and what you called me to do and forgive me and help me 
See, you, you start doing that and you start getting in the habit of that and you become better at it. It, it, it comes quicker to you. And you get those motives ironed out and then you become, not that you are superhuman and you can never fall, but you're not tempted by the same things that you're tempted by because God can trust you. Think about the trust that God had in Nehemiah. He wasn't just asking Nehemiah to live a holy and righteous life for him. He was saying, Nehemiah, I need you to lead my people. I, 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 need, I need you to stand in the gap for my confused, broken, and hurting people and lead them well. Can I trust you, Nehemiah? See, the Lord, the Lord knew he could trust him. And Nehemiah proved the Lord right. Because through every temptation, Nehemiah's integrity held. So how do you find the will of God in your life? You become someone that God can trust. You let the Lord know, you can trust me, God, because I love you. And then he gives you favor with who you need to be given favor with. And, and maybe even he puts you at odds with people you need to be at odds with. There were people that didn't align up with Nehemiah because they didn't have Nehemiah's heart. And he just walked in his integrity. He just walked in truth. Because before the text was written, he had ironed it out with the Lord. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is why I'm here. I want you to remember why you came to Indiana Bible College. I want you to remember that call of God. When you, if you're discouraged today, I want you to think back about the call of God. Why you came. What's your motive for being here? And let that integrity just begin to build in your life. That spiritual formation. That's why you're here. So that can take root in your life. So that you can leave here. We give you a diploma. Just to signify that you've done the coursework. But really, what we're after is when you walk out of these doors, that God says, there's someone I can trust. There's someone I can trust to lead my people. There's someone I can trust to walk into a church that's broken and hurting or step into a youth group full of kids that don't know where to turn and can just love them because they love me and they're not in it for themselves and they'll lay down their life rather than violate my word. That's the kind of person that I can use. That's what we want for your life. For God to be able to trust you. So as they begin to sing... This altar's open. If you'd like to find a place to just say, God, help me to work out this integrity issue in my life. I want you to be grateful the fact that God will lead you and that God will guide you and that you're not out there to navigate all of these things on your own. You're not out there to navigate all those family situations. You're there with the power and the help of the Lord because he can take care of you. He can guide you. He can direct you. But he's got to be able to trust you. God, I pray that you would just touch the student body right now. I pray, Lord, that that formation would begin to build in their life and that they can be people that you can trust, God, so that when they walk out of these doors and they go home and they face that situation, Lord, that you will go with them, God, and that you will guide them and direct them, Lord. Help us, God, to get our motives right and pure before you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to work out our integrity before you, God.
something that we can serve you faithfully, God, through every circumstance and every trial and every test so that you can trust us, Lord, to do your work. And God, we give you praise and we give you glory.
Yeah.